Good morning. That was good, wasn't it? Man, that was good. Okay, we are, if you're new with us, um, I just want to invite you into the journey with us. We are currently going through John. Um, and, and the purpose of that is uh, in our modern sort of Christian day and age, um, the Bible has in some ways become foreign. And a lot of times we don't even know how to interpret it, how to read it. And so what we really attempt to do is open the scriptures, give context um, and understanding and, and really try to get out of the way so that the Lord Jesus can speak to you. Yeah. So the idea here, even the idea of church, is that collectively we're a group of believers coming together who are engaging in a Jesus journey, first with him um, and then with a group of people. That's what church is. That's what it's about. And so what we're going to do this morning is is walk through that. Um, As you interpret the scripture, just three three thoughts, um, you have to look at number one, uh, context, number two, setting, and number three, the audience. I realize that's a little dry to kick things off with, but here's what you cannot understand John chapter 10 without looking at what? John 8 and 9. So let's think back a second. If you're here, if you aren't here, just hang on. Uh, and you might even be here this morning. You might go, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I buy into this. And I would welcome you actually to open the word with us this morning, perhaps on your phone or if you have your Bible and just ask the Lord Jesus to speak to you. And if he's real to reveal himself to you and he'll do it. You don't need any of us to do it. Okay. So, uh, John, uh, eight, anybody remember back? What was there? I had a big stone up here with me. Remember there was a woman, she was caught in adultery and she was going to be stoned. Now, the point of that was actually not the woman or her sin. The point of that whole um, portion was that Jesus was actually saying, hey, you Pharisees, you're being evil shepherds. Interesting tilts, interesting turn. Okay, John 9. What's John 9? A blind man. And again, the Pharisees didn't believe. And again, he's making a point that these uh, Pharisees are um, evil-hearted or self-centered-hearted shepherds. So you get to John 10, and the whole idea is that he is going to introduce himself as the good shepherd. Now, what do we just read? 23rd Psalm. I, I, we, not every single night, but, but a lot of times our kids, as we go to bed, we'll, we'll say that together. Um, and so the even point of opening up um, the passage with that was to say, this is not a new thought. We could go through the Old Testament and from in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and a number of the prophets. There's this idea of God, Yahweh God, um, being a good shepherd. And then it contrasts with this idea of people um, who are uh, self-centered, or I'm going to even use the word evil this morning, but evil shepherds. So we're going to sort of look at that. Um, This, interestingly, uh, is the only parable that is actually in the Gospel of John. You guys know a parable? Like a story? Fascinating, because like if you go to Luke, it's just parable after parable after parable. But in John, there's just one parable. So let me give you a quick um, understanding of what a parable is. Um, A parable is a story that you get emotionally engaged with, and you're like, yeah. And you usually are are, um, advocating for one side or the other. And then all of a sudden, at the end of it, Jesus will flip it, and you become the focus. It's actually a little scary. I, I think the best analogy is an Old Testament analogy between David and Bathsheba. You could go back and read about it, but David has this, he, he sinned, that's all you really need to know. But this guy Nathan comes in, a prophet, and he gives, he starts telling King David this story. And he says, hey, there's this guy that has all these sheep, and again, shepherd analogy. And there's this other guy who has one sheep. And the guy with all these sheep goes and steals the guy's one sheep. And what do you think King David's saying at this point? Oh, he's angry. He's like, that guy ought to be like literally brought out and killed. And then Nathan flips it and go, you're the man. So that's the idea of a parable is Jesus is actually bringing you into something where you engage with something deeply and then he's going to flip the thing on you and it's like, whoa, it's this moment of awakening. So we're going to look for that even in this story this morning. And then I think the last thing before I start reading, um, maybe two things that I would say is look with me at, at chapter 10, verse 11. Because I want you to understand all of chapter 10 in the context of verse 11. And here's what he says there. It's Jesus talking. He says, I am the, what? Good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Say that with me. I am the, 
Okay, so good here in Greek, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but it means um, two things. It means like morally good. It means like the essence of God is good. It means um, that the person of God is good as we understand the word good. But there's also this other thing that it means, and it means aesthetically good. Uh, you could actually translate it beautiful. So what Jesus is introducing himself here is the good and beautiful God. He's also introducing the good and beautiful Father. Somebody said it. And then he's, he's uh, introducing himself as the good and beautiful shepherd. So what we're attempting to do, even as we walk through John, is actually um, sort of recalibrate or focus our own lens so that we can see, know, and understand uh, the God that Jesus knew as the good and beautiful Father. Does that make sense? Okay. Last thing before we start reading. This is very special uh, to me, the good shepherd, um, and even this, this idea that God is a good shepherd, that he goes after his sheep, even the parable where he left the 99 and went after the one. And that's special to me because I've been the one. I've been in such a dark place um, that only God could come in and rescue me. And he came in, I spent seven years of my life estranged from family and friends, I was in a very, very dark place. And he came in and he rescued me out of that place. And so for me, in a very open, honest, and vulnerable way, him being the good shepherd is such a powerful analogy. So let's open this thing up and let's see where we're gonna go with it. I'm gonna actually take you on a progression um, sort of through this uh, chapter. John 10, I'm reading out of the NIV. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber. So what's he saying? Okay, so there's a way to get in through the gate. There's other people who are climbing in over a different way. They're thieves and robbers. Any idea who he's going to flip and point and call thieves and robbers? The Pharisees. It's an amazing, amazing passage. Verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Okay, so what we're going to see, uh, if you're taking notes, point number one, is he is beginning to actually point out the difference between um, self-seeking shepherds, that's easy us, easier for us to understand, um, or, or um, evil shepherds, we'll call them self-seeking shepherds, versus shepherds that are seeking the good of the flock or the good of the king. Okay, so he's beginning to make this contrast that you're going to see unfold throughout this whole thing. Um, and then the other thing he begins to do is he begins to define the good shepherd. Okay, so if there was a like crux of this whole message, this is going to be part of it. And I, and I want you to even grasp this. But the first thing he says is uh, he calls his own sheep by name. This is, well, first we should even say this is the, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. So the first thing that I want you to begin to see, understand, and even grasp is this is uh, the good and the beautiful father who speaks to you. I was talking to a girl this past uh, week, and she was sharing with me that um, she uh, had a difficult childhood, a challenging upbringing, and she was unable to see God as Come on, Father. And what I invited her into was the thought that before time began, in the beginning, God created, Genesis 1, this idea that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed before time, and the idea of human fatherhood hadn't even entered the scene. So this, this idea, you know, everything that is good in a father, in a mother, um, in a shepherd is, is what this father is, but it is not a human context. And the best way that you can take your human context of fatherhood and set it aside and begin to find out who this good and beautiful God is, this good and beautiful father that actually wants to speak to you. Some of you probably had dads that didn't talk to you. You know, in the old days, they'd open the newspaper and hide behind right? Or have the TV on. Come on. Some of you, some of you didn't have dads. You're like, I have no context of this. Today, I don't ever open a newspaper. What do I do at my house? Right? So 
it's probably unintentional, but there are points where we, as fathers, as mothers, even as shepherds, project upon our kids, our people, the ones that we love most, that this is not a God who is interested in them or a person who's interested in them. And what I want you to begin to grasp right from the bat is this is the good and beautiful God, the good and beautiful Father who speaks to you. And so Jesus is laying down that the way they handled the man who was born blind, the way they handled the woman caught in adultery was absolutely wrong. He was making no qualms about it. He's going, wrong. And then he's introducing who this God is. The second thing he says is uh, he calls his own sheep by name. Say by name. It is amazing to think that the God of the universe knows your, like get that. Like you got to actually, if we as humans would wake up in the morning and think and believe and know that there is a good and beautiful father who has our best intentions at heart and at mind, and he actually knows our, it would change everything. This is the God that knows your name. This is the God that created you. This is the God that puts you together. This is the God that has a purpose and a plan and a direction for you. And that doesn't mean for a minute that it's going to be easy. Might you suffer? Yes. Might it be difficult? Yes. Might it be scary? Might it be painful? But you can rest assured that this good and beautiful father is not authoring any of that evil. He is allowing it. And if you persist in it, he will use it both for your good and for his glory. Okay, so secondly, this is the good and beautiful Father who knows your name. Now, just quickly here, let's open this up. In uh, shepherding in Palestine was very different than shepherding like in the U.S. or even in the U.K. or whatever. Shepherding in Palestine was mostly for wool. Shepherding in like the U.S. is mostly for meat. That's right. So guess how long the lamb lives or the sheep lives in the U.S.? Not long. Guess how long the sheep lived in Palestine? A long time. And so the flocks were actually smaller, um, and the shepherd actually knew the names of the? Yeah, so he'd, he'd coin, you know, in, my, in our American, non-Hebrew, whatever, English, he, you know, but it would be like, you know, little black ear or little spotty or little whatever. And, and the shepherd would name every single one of the sheep. Okay, so there's this deep, intimate knowledge of the sheep, and he, they would keep the sheep for 10, 15, 17 years. So there's this knowledge of who the sheep are, of what they need, of whether or not they're well or they're sick. Um, are they getting enough water? Are they getting enough food? So there's this intimate, like, even when you hear me up here talking about this God who is fiercely relational, some of it comes from these type of passages. This is the God that speaks to you. This is the God that knows your name. This is the God um, who who wants to care for you and take care of you every single day. Okay, let's keep going because I'm going to, verse 5, verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. You hear me say, probably a lot, this is the God that goes ahead and comes behind. This, this is like, this is the God who always goes ahead of the sheep and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This is the good and beautiful father who speaks to you. This is the good and beautiful father who knows your name. This is the good and beautiful father who leads you. And this is the good and beautiful father who always goes ahead of you. No matter what tomorrow holds, guess what? He is already there. Like it's really powerful if you can, and we're not going to linger on those four, but if there's an essence to the message as we sort of walk through this entire chapter, this is it, is that you would actually begin um, to see and interpret this good and beautiful God, this good and beautiful Father through the eyes of Jesus. Let's get to know the God Jesus knew. Okay, where are we? Verse five. All right, Uh, the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Um, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, so who's, who's he likening already the stranger to? Pharisees. Like, you got to get that. He's, he's in this, like, active rebuke state, and they don't even know it yet. Okay. They do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this as a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Let's, let's pause there just for a second. Um, let's take a look at shepherds in Palestine, and then I want to really pivot this and open our minds to what, what could a shepherd mean and be today. Okay? 
All right, shepherds in Palestine. Um, a shepherd's task in, in this day and age in Palestine, even today, um, was constant and it was dangerous. It was, hard, it was a hard life. They were never off duty. Um, it's very arid in Israel, you know what I'm saying? There's not lots of grass or vegetation, so they're constantly wandering. They're going through valleys and craggy ravines and terrain. Uh, there were wolves, hyenas, bears, lions. Um, so a shepherd is constantly defending the life and the safety of his sheep. What's fascinating is a shepherd um, in this day and age was simultaneously loved um, and despised. So King David in the Old Testament is a shepherd. You have uh, Moses who is a shepherd. The Old Testament is replete with, with people that God trained by being shepherds. Kind of fascinating. But in this rabbinic age that we're in as we read this, that Jesus is actually teaching in, the shepherds are hated um, because they're not able to participate in the ceremonial washing that's required under all the mitzvah laws and the Pharisaic laws. Not God's law, but the laws they added to it. Does that make sense? So they're hated because they're a stinky group of people that doesn't wash. Serious. I'm a landscaper, so, you know, August in the Wilmington sun, a gallon and a half of water later, shepherd. Okay, so a shepherd should immediately remind us of this unceasing um, vigilance of this loving God um, and his patient love and even self-sacrificing um, attitude and heart towards us as his people. Okay, so let's pivot and let's go shepherds today. We talked about Abraham was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd, David is a shepherd. In the Old Testament, would the judges, the prophets, and the kings be considered shepherds? Yes. Yeah. So, so then what's the commonality? So, so dig a little bit on that. If if uh, the Lord trained a bunch of his leaders in the shepherd fields, and then if you have Old Testament judges, that's like the book of Judges, First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, those are all the kings of Israel. Then you have some prophets in Israel. If all of those people were, 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 would be considered shepherds, what is shepherding in the mind of God? Leading. Yeah, I think it's leadership. Okay. I think that's a really simple way to do it. Okay, so let's, let's kind of go there a second. Um, here at Saltbox, we have a group of overseers who oversee me. You get on our website and look them up. Shepherds? Yeah, okay. This morning, we did baptisms, and one of our lead team, Nathan Snell, was up there with me performing baptisms. Um, he's, a, he's like an on-staff elder, um, although he's not on staff. Um, but but he's a, he is one of the elders of the church. Uh, shepherd? Yeah, and even I actually looked at him this morning as we were baptizing. I said, hey, man, you're shepherding. He didn't know what I meant. He does know. Okay, so let's, let's go there. Let's take another little step here. Uh, we're, we've launched these amazing um, small groups right now. Who's in a small group? A few of you have gotten there. We're also doing them on Thursday nights at our offices from 6 30 to 8, I think that's right. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome back, Cynthia and Kevin. She's leading them. If you want to go talk to her, raise your hand, Cynthia. Um, we've, we've launched these small groups, and we're, we're putting out questions that come right out of our sermon each week. And so small group leaders are facilitating a group. Shepherds? Okay, so let's open a rabbinic idea. So rabbinic just means like Hebrew religious leader idea of um, shepherds. They would have actually said um, that a politician was a shepherd. They would have said that anyone overseeing a small group of people was a shepherd. So in this day and age, you have Pontius Pilate, who is over uh, the Roman rule um, in, in Judea. Shepherd? Yes. All right. You also have King Herod, um, who, who was the king of, of uh, really up towards um, Galilee, but regardless, he's a king in this day and age. Shepherd? Okay. Now, let's, let's uh, pivot further. Under rabbinic tradition... Mothers and fathers, we have kids. Are we? Shepherds. Let's mix the metaphor even a little bit further. Because part of what you have to do as you read scripture is you have to understand the context, the setting, the scenario, who's he talking to, and then you have to like extrapolate and make application to where we are today. Okay? Uh, CEO. Shepherd? Yeah. 
all right, let's reduce it. We have a landscaping company, um, a crew leader on a landscaping company that oversees a couple people. Shepherd. So here's what I'm actually inviting you into doing is most of us as people don't tend to see ourselves as leaders, as shepherds. In fact, some of us spend most of our life like hiding from it, you know, because it's scary. Like it's really scary. All of a sudden you go, man, I'm responsible for a group of people. So where this thing gets intensely personal and what we're going to open up here is that Jesus is representing this good and beautiful God, the good shepherd. He's about to introduce himself as the good shepherd to us. And as he's doing that, he is simultaneously saying, you Pharisees are self-seeking, self-centered shepherds. Now, in the clearest, most like uh, crystal clear like vantage point, Pharisees were the Old Testament pastors. Like, you got to go there a second. We're actually in a day and age, I looked at CNN this morning, there's a big denomination where there's pastoral, like, massive failure going on. Is today any different than then? No. When shepherds fall and fail, we get uh, very angry and disappointed, and I've even, over the last 10 years, I've seen some of my, like, church heroes, like, fall, and I'm like, ah. But I think what you have to step back is, and look at is, is today any different than it was then? No. And what I'm actually inviting you into in this moment is to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to sift your heart and to begin to actually look at yourself through the lens of what is God's definition of the good and beautiful shepherd? What is God's definition of Jesus, the good and beautiful shepherd? Who are you as a shepherd? And are you more of a self-centered, self-seeking shepherd or are you a sacrificial shepherd? All right, let's keep going. I scared some of you, huh? That's good. Okay, um, let's keep reading. We'll go back. I think we're in 10, I think we're in seven. Do I mind five? Seven. seven, okay, good. Thank you. 10 verse seven. Therefore, uh, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Some translations say, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Let's go ahead and read 10 and then we might come back to it again. But the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's kind of complex if you in one way, if you think about it. Okay, so Jesus just introduced himself as the what? The gate or, or the door. So he hasn't even technically introduced himself as the good shepherd, although it's sort of brewing in the hearts and minds of all these Pharisees because they recognize they're smart and they recognize where he's going. So Jesus said, I'm the door. Okay, what in the world does that mean? So you got to look at Palestine. We got to look at shepherds. So he's speaking to the people, right? And what's beautiful about Jesus is he's always going to use language that everyone would have understood and comprehended. And he's inviting them into it. So in Palestine, um, Jesus uh, is saying, I am the door. So in Palestine, you would have had a shepherd who's wandering around at night. And at the end of the day, as darkness begins to fall, the shepherd would have brought his sheep into a pen. Okay. The pen might've been a cave, Okay, it might have been a, a, a thing of bramble bushes that he made a big circle all the way around and there would be a little opening. It might have actually been a fenced area. It might have been boulders, but he would have brought them into a spot where that was fully enclosed. Why? To protect them, to keep them safe. That's right. And then what's absolutely beautiful is that he would have um, gone to the entrance of that pen, whatever it was, and he would have stood at the entrance and he would have begun to lead his sheep in. And they know, they know this drill. They do it every day. So they begin to file in one by one. And a shepherd in this day and age had two tools. Um, one is like a cudgel. It's like a little baseball bat. Sometimes someone would put like nails on the end and it was for, um, it, it was for defending the sheep against predators. 
or even thieves. And then there was this other thing, and it was um, a staff, and it was this long shepherd staff. He'd use it to walk with. Sometimes it had a crook on the end, sometimes not, but he would grab the sheep or he'd, he'd stop um, the sheep with it. But he would take that long staff, and if you can imagine, say my speakers here are the entrance to the sheep pen, and I'm bringing the sheep in. He would take that staff, and he would drop the staff down, and he would hold it right over the backs of the sheep. And then the sheep would begin to file in one by one. And the entire purpose is that the shepherd would inspect the sheep. Hi, little black ear. Hi, little whatever your name is, because he knows their name. And what's he looking for? Are they hurt? Have they broken a leg? Are they bleeding? Like he's actually assessing, are they getting enough food? Are they getting enough water? Are they okay? So one by one, he, this, is, this again is the God. This is the good and beautiful God that knows your name, that cares for you, that leads you, that goes before you, that is even caring enough about your physical pain, your physical ailments, what are you going through? And he is looking as each sheep comes by him to assess how they're doing, greeting them by Name. I mean, this is so powerful imagery, and we read it and just think of stinky sheep in a, in a pasture and totally miss what he's saying. Like, he's actually advocating that this good and beautiful God, this good and beautiful Father is so good that he knows our name, and he takes the time to actually sit with just us as we pass before him. It's so powerful. It's transformative from the way we as kind of Western American Christians, if you're a Christian, view this like CEO God who just issues rules and commands and you've got to follow him, yeah? This is this tender, intimate, loving father that cares about you. Come on, that's worth saying thank you, Jesus, over. I've totally lost, I'm the door, I'm the gate, okay, thank you. Um, so he says, I am the gate. So, so, so he's letting all the sheep come in. Um, and then oh, this is so powerful. I'm so glad I read my notes. Um, then this is so good at night. Okay. This was the gate. Remember at night, there's no like actual gate. So what's he do? I mean, he literally, like, you got to get this. He literally becomes the door. So if the hyenas come, who are they going to get? If the wolves come, if the bears come, if a robber comes, if a group of bandits come to take over the hole, he is literally putting himself in the way at total risk, in danger, saying, I am the, I'm the door. I'm the door. I am blocking the way. You ever heard uh, in old, I don't even know who said it most recently or where it comes from, but over my dead, that's where this comes from. It literally says, you will not pass through here unless I'm, I mean, it is the ultimate protection and provision. So the life of a shepherd, the entire thing is about self-sacrificing love. Now pause for just a minute. Think with me about King Jesus who came, lived perfect, sinless, ultimately goes to a hill called Golgotha and self-sacrificing love. Thank you. <laughs> I am the door. A lot of us, I think, tend to read that and think when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, we tend to think of this God who is out to get us, out to judge us, out to even like, I don't know, watching for our failure so that he can come and beat us up or something. And it's, it's so wrong. It's actually so anti-biblical the way many people present Jesus. And that's what he's actually in this active rebuke of the Pharisees right now. He's saying, listen, I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the one that loves. I am the one that lays down my life for the sheep. And guess what? You Pharisees should go and do the same thing. All right, let's go back and read verse 10. The thief, now, who's the thief? The 
The thief here is, um, it's, it's the thief, it's not just a thief, and it's a parallel to Satan. Now, I didn't really intend to go into this, but let's at least ask one question. Is Satan the opposite of God? Absolutely not. Satan is a fallen angel. He is a created being. Does he have the same power as God? No. Does he currently rule the earth? Yes, he does. One day Jesus will come back and overthrow his rule. But there's a number of scriptures that talk about him ruling. He's the prince of the power of the air. Jesus, when he died on that stone hill called Golgotha, he made all power available to conquer death, hell, Satan, sin. But it's, it, we live in this tension of it's been done, but Jesus has not yet returned um, and established his final rule and authority um, on the earth in every one of our lives. Does that make sense? It's like Michael is in Christ. Michael has been made new. Michael's been crucified with Christ. Michael no longer lives. Jesus now lives in me. But I still live in this tension of some days I get up and I'm grumpy and ugly and impatient and selfish and I have to go and ask my wife's forgiveness. You hear me? Be honest with me. You're like that too. If you're not being honest, look at your roommate or your spouse and ask them. They'll tell you. We live in this tension of the now, Jesus has paid it all, we're all made new, and the not yet that we haven't yet fully experienced and practically become all that God has made us and created us to be. Now, I am still of the opinion that we as Christians ought to park our car, so to speak, or our hearts and minds in the category that we're saints, not sinners. I believe that we are saints with a capacity to sin, not sinners with a capacity to be saints. You go, oh, Michael, that's semantics. I go, no, 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 it's not. No, 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 it's not. Because that's the way I see myself. And guess what? The way I see myself and the way I think about myself is the way I act, speak, treat people. What, what I really believe, put me under a little bit of pressure and what Michael really believes, how, what's gonna happen? Oh, it's gonna come on out. Sometimes it upsets me. Sometimes it upsets my wife. Sometimes I gotta ask forgiveness. I, I do this even as a pastor to invite you guys into your own Jesus journey. This is the Jesus that wants to make you new, that wants to lead you in to this type of intimate, ongoing relationship with him. So Satan is the thief. Satan is here to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, uh, and, and then Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There are people who have taken that verse and used that to say, Satan's here to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, I get that. But I've come that you may have life to the full, which means I get to fly first class everywhere. I think that is wrong. I think that is sin. What that means is that in whatever situation you're in, might he call you to fly first class everywhere? Absolutely. You might have the big house on the water. Praise Jesus. That's amazing. But when he says live life to the full, live life abundantly, he is saying whatever situation you find yourself in, he has given the capacity through the risen power of Christ Jesus for you to experience the fullness of his blessing, which is first and primarily relational. This is a God that will not leave you, that will not forsake you, that is the door, that is looking at you each evening, that knows who you are, that put you together, has a purpose and a plan and a direction and a destiny. This is the God that when you're going through the loss of a child and when you're going through a chronic illness or when you're going through you fill in the blank, cancer or something else, this is the God that in the middle of it is not going to abandon you. This is the God that wants to walk through you, uh, through it all with you. And if you're willing to persist, I assure you that in time, you will find and recognize his uh, goodness, both for your good, your family's good, your children's good, and his ultimate glory. If you don't see it today, it's okay. There's days where I look at Abby, we have a couple situations in our life, and I go, I don't see it today. I don't see it today. But I'm gonna hang on and trust that in time I'm gonna see and understand that his goodness will be manifest for my good, for her good, for our family's good, and for his ultimate glory. Okay. Satan is here to steal, kill, and destroy. All right. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. I am the good and beautiful God. I am the good and beautiful father. I am the good and beautiful shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay. 
Now he's contrasting what a good shepherd does, which is what? Lays down his life, and then he goes, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Who's the hired hand? Pharisees. So I'm going to use an old school, Old Testament word, and I don't mean to offend you, um, but it is what it is. Uh, in the King James Version, they, this would be a damning indictment. Okay? He is issuing such a, and I'm not, this is not a cuss word. We've taken this word that meant eternal separation from King Jesus, eternal darkness. That's what damnation means. And we, we've turned it into a curse word. So when we're angry at someone or we hate somebody, we go, blank, you, right? You're, you're literally um, cursing them with eternal Darkness. Like, it's serious. It's actually heavy when you hear somebody say that. They, most time, people don't even know what they're saying. But what Jesus is doing here for a group of religious people who spend their life studying the Bible, giving their money, serving, obeying all these rules, some of them silly and, and, and um, added on to the original call and law of God, it, it is such a powerful indictment of their failure that you're evil shepherds because he's likening them to being hired hands that don't care about the who? The sheep. The wolf shows up, and what do you do? Run away. You don't care about the sheep. I mean, he is in full on, like, this is not like weak, namby-pamby Jesus that we think of him like, no, 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 no. This is Jesus in full on, like, brutal confrontation with the powers and religious authorities of the day. And he's doing it in parable form. It's amazing, this Jesus. Okay, I'm the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hands, I think I'm in verse, uh, verse 14. Okay, let's, let's, let me pause there before I keep reading in verse 14. Um, how does he define um, love? Laying down his life. Okay, let's just, let's just read it here. Um, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So what's he foretelling at this moment? He's going to die on this stone hill called Golgotha. He's saying literally, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. Now, he's also saying, what should every good shepherd's primary motivation be? And sacrifice and laying down ones. Okay, let's get personal again. Let's go back to this list. Who's shepherds? As a husband, what is my primary role as I relate to my wife? To love her. And what's Jesus's, the good and beautiful father's definition of love? I get what I want when I want it. I don't think it said, I don't, I don't think it said that, did it? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I want you to see something that's powerful here. And then I want you to even engage in some self-reflection and let the Holy Spirit perhaps even sift your own heart. To the degree that you are a self-seeking shepherd, whatever your shepherd context is, and to the degree that you are not loving by self-sacrifice is the degree that which you are taking up your, your position in the camp of the... Pharisees, which is also the camp of the, connect some dots. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and he's actually saying, if you are unable to become a person, a shepherd who loves through self-sacrificing love, you have taken up the way of the Pharisee in the camp of the thief. Like, it's like, Now, for those of us, who are, some of you might be going, oh my goodness, I'm never gonna measure up. I've got good news for you. You're not. You're not. I'm not. That's why I stand up here and tell you stories about my own failure. Our whole even mission as a church is to lead people into fully, to become fully surrendered followers of Christ. That means, Jesus, I am not gonna measure up as a husband, as a father, as a church leader, and I need you to 
bury the old Michael and come and live inside of me. That's the only hope that my wife and my kids in this church has. You hear me? The danger, and many pastors fall into this, but make all the application. Mothers fall into this. Fathers fall into this. Spouses fall into this. Roommates fall into this. CEOs fall into this. Landscaping crew leaders fall into this. Teachers fall into this. But you, you can actually begin to think that you can do it, begin to do it in your own steam, and actually, um, instead of accessing, appropriating the life of, and the risen power of Christ Jesus, you're now appropriating sort of the life of the thief and the life of the Pharisee and you're out for your own ends. It's very humbling. I, I, total honesty, it is terrifying to me to be a pastor. And I'm not proud of it because of the mess that pastors have made of it right now. I actually like to tell people, what do you do for a living? I'm a landscaper. <laughs> Especially on airplanes. What do you do for a living? I am a landscaper. I move dirt all the time. I plant things and move things and run chainsaws. I'm a landscaper but I'm also a pastor and I'm a shepherd and shepherds right now have botched it badly. There's a fine line that Jesus is pointing out here. And I think that the human heart for pastors, for mothers, for fathers, for spouses, for landscaping crew leaders, you fill in the blank, has to be constantly evaluated and reevaluated before King Jesus. Because you can start one way, you can start the right way. I could take you through story after story out of the Old Testament and even out of the New of people who started the right way with the right heart and slowly and silently and seductively they were lured into the camp of the thief, the camp of the Pharisee, and they wanted their own way, and they wanted to be right in their own eyes, and they wanted to be loved and adored and revered. And so all of a sudden, they find themselves not as making like the good shepherd and loving self-sacrificially, but making like the evil shepherd and using people to attain their kingdom, their will, and their way. I see it in marriages. I see it in families. I see it in businesses. I see it in my own life. That's why there's this line that every one of us must watch and must go, let the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, would you sift my heart and show me? Ask. There is no safety in this part of the journey except total and ruthless dependence and surrender before him. None. The question that Jesus is calling these Pharisees to, he's calling his disciples to, is to engage in actively laying down the life, their life for their sheep. It's what Jesus did. It's what pastors are called to do. It's what spouses are called to do. It's what parents are called to do. It's what we as people are called to do, laying down our lives for one another, preferring one another in the body of Christ. Here's a question that you may write down in your notes if you're taking notes. Do you own your life? Or does he? Do you lay down your preference? In Jesus, you don't have the right to prefer. Do you lay down your opinion? When you get in a fuss with your roommate or, you, or your spouse, whose opinion rears its head? You hear me? I am the Door. What's the door do? Yeah, you got it. It's very powerful. This is the ultimate litmus test. Okay, let's keep going. 10, 11. The man, uh, 13, the man runs away because he is hired and cares nothing for the sheep. That's the rebuke of the Pharisees. Then he goes in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Go back to the beginning. This is the good and gracious father who speaks to you, who knows your name, who leads you, and who goes ahead of you. Okay, just as the father knows me and I know the father. See that intimate interaction? Christianity is not a religion. It is a deep, intimate, ongoing, vital relationship with the creator of the universe. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. 
I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock, one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Okay, let me, let me just make a couple comments and then we'll keep going here because there's some things he says there that are so powerful. Let me say something because some of you may translate me saying your job is self-sacrificial love as your job is to always agree with or affirm people. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. Self-sacrificing love is not always to lay down um, your, uh, your opinion or affirm what someone else is doing or saying or the direction they're going. You hear me? Sometimes self-sacrificing love with an older child is actually looking at the older child and saying, what you're doing is not healthy for our home, for our marriage, for our family, for our younger kids. And if this continues, you need to make a choice. And sometimes what happens with the older kid? I did that for seven years. Didn't see my parents for seven years. I'm not suggesting that you become a doormat in any of your situations. I am suggesting that if you are a self-seeking person who is out for your own ends, your own glory, your own kingdom, that you're maybe like a Pharisee more than you're like King Jesus. You follow? You're going to have to make application there. All right, so love is not necessarily being nice or polite, okay? Love is being kind. Love is self-sacrificing. The Bible actually says God is love. We are called to love. We are called to self-sacrifice. Look for a minute with me at motherhood. I'm not being sexist here, so we have women elders at our church, so don't even go there. But look at motherhood. In motherhood, I sacrifice my body, I sacrifice my appearance. I sacrifice my time. I sacrifice my sleep. I sacrifice my future. We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? That is a picture of the shepherd, the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. Okay, let me, let me attempt to get practical here as we, as we tie this thing together. Um, I think that your, whether you are a self-sacrificing shepherd or a self-promoting shepherd is most clearly seen in the home. I don't cook dinner. I don't clean toilets. I don't mow the grass. You hear me? Like I'm intentionally meddling with you a little bit to go evaluate your own heart. Church is not a place where people come together to have a cool concert and have a lot of fun. No, no, no. Church is actually a place where you're being invited into a vibrant, ongoing, life-transforming relationship with a good and beautiful God that knows your name and wants to take you and transform you and send you to help reach a lost, broken, and dying world. Church is this beautiful place where broken people come together, not in a perfectionistic, slick sort of experience, but rather to walk into the Jesus journey one with another. Church is a place where we learn to be shepherds that actively lay down our lives. It's powerful. Jesus demands nothing. He lays down his life and he always offers love and forgiveness and new life. If you demand, who are you being like? Take it to the bank. Some of you are going, oh man, I'm demanding. Great. Self-awareness and revelation is the beginning of repentance. And there is room at the foot of the cross for every single one of us. I think you could actually say that you're never more like the evil shepherds that Jesus is talking about here than when you're demanding and self-centered. And you're never more like Jesus than when you're actively laying down your life. Our call is to love like Jesus, to love sacrificially, to lay down our lives. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead just for this last point, and I'm going to skip a few verses, and I want to read uh, verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, this chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Who's he saying that to? 
Pharisees. He's saying, you're not my kids. You're not my sheep. You're not in the fold. You're not part of it all. And then he goes, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You can have security um, in your relationship with Jesus, or you can have security because you think you obey and follow all the rules, but you can't have both. In other words, this God is so fiercely relational, you can cling to relationship with King Jesus, or you can con- con- cling to religion and rules and external whatevers, but you, you can't have both. And, and there's actually this dividing line between are we self-sacrificing or are we um, self-centered, self-seeking, self-promoting? I think one thing as we, as we land that I would say um, so clearly here is Jesus said, back up, go back in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. What's he talking about? So now he's talking, in this passage, he's talking to a Hebrew audience. So when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, who's he talking about? Gentiles, us, white people, serious Red people, black people, all people. He's saying everyone who's non-Hebrew, because he's talking all to Hebrews right now. Everyone who's non-Hebrew, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I'm not Hebrew. I'm grafted in. And then he says, I must bring them also. Now, uh, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Does that mean, many churches have got off here because they think that one flock means one church. Does it? There are many pens. There's one flock. You get that? So in other words, we as Christians must be very careful because does God move in the house church? Yes. Does he move in the mega church? Yes. Does he move in the funny 200-member church that meets in a, wherever we are, school auditorium? Yes. Does he move in the underground Chinese church? Yes. Does he move in the Iranian church? So what you have to be very careful of is that in your own awakening, because you're awakening to the fact that, man, there could be actually churches and people that are being pharisaical in their walk. Shake your head. Yes, there are. But you must be very careful that we don't become judgmental because the idea here is not one, it's one flock, which is the body of Christ, the capital C church, but it's many sheep, pens. Be at peace with it. It's his way. Okay. We end here, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. This is the good and beautiful Father who speaks to you. This is the good and beautiful Father who knows your name. This is the good and beautiful Father who leads you. And this is the good and beautiful Father who goes ahead of you and comes behind you.